0: Welcome to episode 520. It's a best of, a replay of an episode from 2012 with my friend Jesse Perez. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit rattling around in our heads. Uh, This is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, uh, not a doctor's office, more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Our sponsor for today, as always, is BetterHelp.com. Online counseling, that's BetterHelp.com. If you're interested in trying online counseling, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Uh, Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. Uh, And Then fill out a questionnaire, and if they feel they have a counselor who is a good fit for you, they will pair you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling. And uh, you need to be over 18, and BetterHelp is licensed in all 50 states. Highly, highly recommend it. All right, without any further ado, here is The Best Of with Jesse Perez. I'm here with my friend, Jesse Perez, who uh, I've known for probably about seven years. I think we we met in about uh, 2004. And you're somebody that I just immediately was drawn to. Uh, your sense of humor. Um, you're one of the least uh, phony people I know. And I've always been drawn to people like that. Um, so when you agreed to, to do this podcast, I was very excited. And I got to say, I'm a little... Um, I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but I care very much what you think of me, and I don't want to let you down, and um, I just wanted to get that uh, out of the way up top.
1: Okay, well, just so we're clear on it, I have a very low opinion about you all the way around, pretty much, so we're good. Let's be clear on that. You don't have to worry anymore.
0: Why you got got to make it a a race war right out of the gate?
1: No, I I, I think uh, the reason we have a connection is because we think highly of each other, and I kind of you know the same thing you say about me, I can sure for sure I can say about you. Well, thank you, I I, I appreciate that. Uh, Jesse's
0: story, and obviously I'll let him I'll let him tell it, but um, it um, I've just always been interested in it, and I can never hear enough of it. And you're not somebody that walks around talking about themselves. Um, which to me makes it even more interesting. Um, so c- let's start from the from the beginning. Uh, can you talk about where you were raised, what your
1: home environment was like? Um, I was born in East LA mm-hmm. and I was raised in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, and we were—I was—I had seven brothers and sisters. I was in the middle. Um, I had four brothers and sisters from one father, and four brothers and sisters from another father. So we had a, a definite, uh, defining line in who we are, who we were under the same roof. Oh, really? Now that that I never knew.
0: And was your dad, was your father the one who was living with you, or was My, he the one who left?
1: He was the one who was asked to leave. Okay. My mother was, um, yeah, she was married twice, and and um, so there was four of us from one father and four from the other. Yeah. There wasn't. Um, there wasn't. Uh, my f- my stepfather raised me. My mom was married to my stepdad, and then he went to prison. And while he was in prison, my mom met my dad, and she was with him for about seven or eight years, or whatever it was that defined common law. And in that time, she had four kids from him. And then, when my stepdad got out of prison, my dad was out of the picture. Or right before he got out of prison, my dad was asked to leave because of, uh, for whatever reason, their ma- their marriage failed. And then. My stepdad, coming out of prison, was the one that raised me, pretty much.
0: Well, let's talk about your uh, history with uh, trouble and the law. And I know, and I don't, I know you don't want to glamorize or romanticize your your past, and that's certainly not my intention to do that. But I can tell you, as a uh, white kid from the suburbs, there there are aspects of your past that are fascinating to me. And I don't want to sensationalize them, but I think they're interesting. So, um, at the risk of uh, sensationalizing them, can you uh, tell me what it's like to be a gangbanger and shoot heroin? Well, I'll
1: tell you what. Um, I'm glad you said. I'm glad you made that point because I know so many guys that really, really do glamorize it. Yeah. And I mean our whole society, that whole like hip hop mentality. Yeah. I mean I got a son who's a who makes rap music. He's a hip hop guy and and, and and we're both into music in a big way. And I love that that I don't like that style of music, but I like that the the creativity of it. And right. my son likes to write like I like to write, which is very cool. But that whole gangster mentality, you know, now there's guys white boys from the suburbs sure. that are gangsters because of that listen they listen to the music and they get caught up in it and then you throw alcohol and drugs in the mix and everybody's el capone now you know or whatever and so for me um you know i can't i don't glamorize it or think that i see it as a lot of fun because i've seen the other side of it Mm -hmm. i've been around guys that are are real gangsters and i you know i never was but i knew guys that were and so i see you know i see the other side of it and um it's not always a party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a poolside party getting yeah. loaded. You know.
0: Now, when you say you weren't a gangster, are you being uh, are you being sarcastic?
1: Not at all. I mean, you know, well, here's the deal. I think, um, see, and that's that's the point that I'm making is that a lot of people believe if they dress a certain way and they listen to certain music and they talk a certain talk, um, and you know that they uh, they are that person that. Um, that the godfather was about right and they get caught up in that and i call it a gangster mentality and really what it is is all hollywood mm-hmm. it's all hollywood so you never
0: belonged to a gang
1: of course i did i okay. was a gang member i was a gang member from from about 11 years old till probably 26 so what's
0: the difference between being a gang member and being a gangster
1: well the, you know for me the gangsters were the gangsters were the guys that were running business and that was the business end of, of of that lifestyle. You know, the the the, the movement of the drugs and, and the and the, the the criminal element. Right. Um, and I got involved in it. I did. Um, but there was always the guys that, that existed at a higher level than me. Um, and of course that was the plan for me. I was planning on moving up and, and getting my way you know, working my way to the top, what they call the top. But um, Which is Pelican
0: Bay. <laughs> well, that's the top. I
1: mean, it, and it is, and Pelican, it is.
0: Pelican Bay is a prison in Northern California where some of the most hardcore gang members and criminals are, are, are housed. Did you Did ever do time at Pelican Bay?
1: Not at all. I, uh, yeah, I've done time, but I don't, you know, I've done a little bit of time. Through the years, I think by the time I was done going to jail, it had been a total of about eight and a half years. And it was at different places that... Um, um, well, didn't you turn 18 in Folsom no 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 no, no not at all not me um, <laughs> oh you're being sarcastic no I, it you're wasn't not? me it wasn't me it wasn't me no and here's the deal there's a lot of guys I try and I try and the, it's funny you asked me that question because there's guys that come up to me in the circles that I hang in and they tell me, they ask me questions like um you know you've been here I says no I haven't and they says yes, you have, and I'm telling them like no, I haven't. And they have this idea that they know where I've been more than I know where I've been. Well, for some reason,
0: I could have sworn I heard you uh, say that that you that you turned 18 in in pri- did you turn 18 in prison? No, I
1: was no. I was I was busted, but I wasn't in I wasn't up in I wasn't in prison when I turned 18, but I was in jail. Oh, okay. So there's a difference. I mean, and that's why a lot of guys. Um, they tell me that they know where I've been, and they don't, and they don't. They get pieces of my story, and they right. come up to this conclusion of who they think I am, and they're more concerned about my time than I am. <laughs> they really are, <laughs> yeah. and that's the whole idea. Of, that's why I don't get in conversation about it, because a lot of guys, um, they're more excited about my past than I am. Right, Like, they're really interested in it, and I, and I, you know, one guy got me so angry about asking me about it, about the details. I told him, why don't you go... Get a gun and do some robberies and create your own story. I mean, come on, right. give me a break, you right, know. Because right. they get so much excitement over where they think I've been, right? And most guys don't know because they don't listen to what I say, right? You know, like there's so much excitement. Like people want to know about it. And You know what? Um, I don't think people want to know about it.
0: I I think people want to know about it if if that person has been able to distance themselves from it, right? And and because you've been able to distance yourself from it, that's why I think it's a worthy story. Um, Somebody acting like an asshole and shooting people and, you know, all the things that people are in jail for nowadays, the selfish, egotistical things that they do, that, to me, doesn't make a story. But somebody seeing the error of their ways and learning to live a different way that to me is a compelling interesting story and so that uh, um is one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you because you've overcome things other other than that 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 i want to get to as well um but let's let's talk about uh so let's when you're 11 how how does the um
1: the trouble begin um I started I got introduced to getting loaded at like ten mm-hmm. my at least getting drunk at ten, and then I got introduced to other things between ten and eleven, which is like sixty nine seventy and I got introduced to other things um, you know the weed and and uh, I think we back then they were we were even sniffing paint and uh, people were sniffing glue. I never sniffed glue, but sniffing paint, weed, uh, reds, whites. And, and this is at a young age, and I'm an experiment. I had to try it a couple of times, and it wasn't a big R- deal. Reds and whites, is that like second alls and 2 and alls Right. Okay. Or, or, or down, downers and uppers, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, from, yeah. So, okay. and um, what was going on at, at home was mom was struggling to keep us fed. There was eight of us, and so I had a lot of free time, and I had a lot of time on my own. Um, and at my house, um, my brother was a leader in the neighborhood, and so a lot of the guys that were older than me used to come to the house and i would pick up on what was going on with them i had an uncle living with us who mm-hmm. just recently passed away and and he was kind of schooling you, me
0: when you say uh, that your brother was a, a leader in the neighborhood you you know you mean that uh, in a in a gang yes okay yes right.
1: he was the guy that i followed i mean he, sure. i
0: how much older was he than you
1: maybe 3 years okay yeah he's about 54 right now 54 55 Um, and you know, he set the, he set the bar for me. He, you know, he was a respected guy and, and, um, did girls like him and the, um, yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: But what was it? Was it his power and the the fact that people listened to him and gave him respect that, that kind of,
1: it wasn't his, his so much what he said, it was the things he did. And I knew that's where we got our respect. That's where we got our recognition in the neighborhood was the things we were willing to do.
0: Like what were the things that he did or was willing to he do? He was kind
1: of one of the guys. He was a fighter, mm-hmm. and he went up, and, and he was the kind of guy that, that would want to go up against numerous guys. And he was a fighter, and that's what he was. And he was a good fighter. And that was kind of um, um, the shadow that I walked in. I, I kind of hung on to his reputation for as a kid. But, you know, that turned around to bite me in the ass because eventually... You know, um, I could run on, right on his coattails for a little while, and then eventually I had to do my own work. And the thing in the neighborhood was about everybody trying to out-crazy each other. Yeah. You know, a compliment was how crazy you were and the things you were willing to do. Yeah. And for me, I tried to learn, um, you know, because I started getting arrested at a young age, and, I, and I'd go to juvenile hall or the camps or whatever. Now,
0: how old were you when you were arrested for, for the first time? The very
1: first time I was, I think, nine no. Yeah, I was either nine or ten, and what it was is I used to because because you know I used to watch the stuff around me and I wasn't really doing anything, even though I drank once or twice. Um, I used to carry this buck knife for show, mm-hmm. and one day we were down at the school down the street from our house, and some kid came and tried to take my bike from me or threatened to take it, mm-hmm. and so. You know, and of course, you know, I told him, no way, you know, and I pulled out my buck knife Mm -hmm. that I used to stone. I had it like razor sharp. Yeah. And I carried it for looks, of course. And, um, you know, and when I pulled it out, he went and grabbed it, reached to grab it. And when he grabbed it, I just pulled it real quick. And, you know, I cut his fingers down to the bone or whatever. I cut his fingers up pretty bad. Yeah. And and that scared me. And I jumped on my bike and me and my partner, and we raced to my house He went home and I went inside and I was so scared. And then I heard the knock on the door and I already knew who it was. And I look out the curtain, it's the cops and it's the kid I cut and two other kids, the witnesses. Yeah. And so I opened the door like I'm going to play dumb, right? I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like 10 years old and I'm thinking I'm going to go toe to toe with this cop and challenge, (laughs) you know, our (laughs) intellect here or whatever, you know. And so I opened the door. He starts reading me my rights. Really? And the other kids are like, that's him, that's him. And my mom, you know in the middle of him reading me my rights my mom being on the other side of the door somewhere caught wind of you know heard it and walked up and like what the hell's going on here and and he's like you know and he's you know he told her what happened and and uh and I looked at my mom and I said the kid tried to take my bike you know and they took me to jail with my i think my mom went with me and they sighted me and I was in there for an hour or something and then they released me and i thought they were wrong you know Mm -hmm. and the second time was right after i was in a market down the street from my mom's and and i was in the market and i seen a little cap gun in the food section but unwrapped just laying on the on food and so i grabbed it and I stuck it in my pocket and i really didn't think that i was stealing Mm -hmm. i didn't think i was stealing i thought well, and I didn't think a kid came and left it there, but I didn't think I was stealing for whatever reason. Right. Stuck it in my pocket, started walking out the door, and I got busted. And they, you know, they called the cops. They arrested me, and they and they and they arrested me for shoplifting. And uh, and I thought they were wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I really thought they were wrong as a kid. I thought, and that and that that those two incidents, I started developing this mindset of. Society versus me. Wow. The man versus me. Yeah. And then, of course, back then there was a little bit of, um, you know, that racial tension was going on. Back then it was, uh, you know, for us, they called them Tijuaneros, TJs, Mm -hmm. because most of the Mexicans back then came from Tijuana. Mm -hmm. They weren't from San Salvador and, you know, South America and all that. They were from right on the other side of the border. Right. So we called them TJs. Mm -hmm. And so for me um even as, as a young kid at about 10 11 years old my given name was jesus and i was called jesus because i was born on christmas day and i changed it to jesse because i didn't want to be confused for those people from the other side of the border really i never knew that yeah and so and back then you know b- there was always this tension between what are what what i come from is what, what are called chicanos which are um, you know American Mexican heritage, Ameri- mm-hmm. you know Americans, and these guys are Mexicans from Mexico, mm-hmm. which is where my you know my dad's mom and dad are from. But you know I didn't we didn't want to. There was a difference between us, and believe it or not, did you look,
0: did you look down on them?
1: Um, I think the reason I didn't really look down on them, but I think that it seemed like society looked down on us, um, like we were the same people as they were and we weren't did it would it be fair to say that you felt like they were making your
0: life harder you they were dragging you down a bit
1: absolutely okay absolutely because we were thrown in a in a in this class of you know a mexican's a mexican which means whether we're from california or or mexico we're the same people Mm -hmm. and we're not and we're not and and so i mean as a kid you know you try and you're trying to find yourself find out who you are Mm -hmm. and we come from poverty and we come from um, um, what do you call it broken broken marriages or broken homes or whatever and, and you try and find your place and try and determine the person that you are even apart from your family but as an individual who you are and so for me I think the most natural thing for me to do was to gravitate toward that lifestyle that I gravitated toward because there was recognition, there was status there was a good time, yeah. there was rebellion um, against that system that we felt um, there wasn't prejudice under my mom's roof but there was a sense of for where wherever it came from it wasn't from my mom but there was something in there that said um we were the way we were because of because the white man did it to us mm-hmm. there was something there it was subtle but it was there yeah you know so when you see things like I remember, even though I was a kid, I remember when Bobby Kennedy got shot. Mm -hmm. I remember when Martin Luther King got shot. And I remember being so driven toward that movement, whatever it was, whatever I could decipher that it was as a kid with that mentality. Mm -hmm. And I became a fan of, uh, I called it the Kennedy movement. I started studying John F. Kennedy in elementary school. I would think I was probably three years old when he got killed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know him or of him. And when Bobby Kennedy got killed and Martin Luther King, it kind of, you know, and then the East L.A. riot, they had the East L.A. riot, which was the, they were protesting against the front lines in Vietnam, and then it blew up. When Ruben Salazar was killed, the, he got the, hit the with
0: a flare gun in his with, head. Right? Yeah,
1: with the with the yeah the, the tear gas, and they called it an accident, and it was far it from was an aimed accident. Aimed
0: directly at his head from like what three feet away or something. No, he,
1: the cop was at the door, and 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 Ruben was behind the curtain, of one of them plastic curtains that you could see through in a right. bar. Right. And they shot him point blank in the head with it. But the thing about that is, there's such a conspiracy. You know, they had, they recently had a reopening of that case and and what they did is they let the daughter see the evidence but they didn't reveal any of the evidence to the public they let her see the evidence alone without an attorney for a limited time and then they closed it and said that it was officially there was not it was it is it was what they said it was Mm -hmm. but when they when they called the cops it was called the silver dollar cafe when they called the cops because there was protests going on about the front lines of Vietnam, and what they were saying is that the front lines were filled with Chicanos, mm-hmm. and they were being murdered, and then replenished with more Chicanos in the front line in Vietnam. And that's what the that's what the march was about. And the white man was saying, "No, we throw some blacks in there." Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. You know, whatever they were saying. But the, but the thing was, is that when Salazar, when they found out he was in the in the in the in the bar, there was a call. And I don't know how they say there was a call that said that there was a man with a gun in this bar I see. And so I've talked to witnesses who were there and they said there must have been about 15 cop cars that showed up there like really 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 quick.
0: Mm-hmm. So it seemed like to set up.
1: Well, yeah, because I mean you say I mean all the, you got 100,000 people marching mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you got this attention on this one place mm-hmm. and you go in there and by by chance this guy who brings cases against authority and against the cops and challenges
0: and po- who was writing in papers, and writing, writing things right, un- very unfavorable to the establishment, right? Yeah, and yeah. so
1: and and they shot him point blank in the head with a tear gas. They say they, shit, they shot it on the ceiling and it came down and ricocheted and hit him in the head, but f- yeah. but further investigation shows that they shot him point blank. Yeah. So yeah, he, he you okay. know.
0: So things like that contributed to that idea that it's. It's us versus uh, us, us versus them.
1: Yeah, but you got to understand too that everything. In, the only reason I share these stories is these are the excuses that I had. Right. Okay, these are part of that foundation that I built for myself because my I was drawn to that way of thinking by choice mm-hmm. because I had seven siblings and not all of us lived the same way. Right. You know, I mean, um, two of my sisters and or maybe one of my sisters and one of my brothers and a little bit of the other brother. I mean, you know, we didn't all uh, join a gang. Right. You know, and we didn't all turn into drunks and dope fiends. Right. We didn't, you know, but this is just, this is what I did. That
0: moved you. The th- Yeah. Th- this, this lifestyle and that emotional kind of component resonated with you and you thought, this feels natural to me i'm going to move towards this but you weren't obviously if you were a a fan of bobby kennedy uh all white people weren't weren't bad just kind of the the ones that were currently in power
1: yeah yeah and 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 it wasn't even uh like i said under my mom's roof it wasn't talked about like you know my mom was definitely wasn't a racist or my stepdad or but there was just something, there was like that 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 hum or that tone. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the news, maybe it was the paper, you know, the, the media, the way they would blow things up. And as a kid, you're kind of putting these pieces together and creating your own reality mm-hmm. because I'm not going to my mom and asking her to clear things up for me. Right. I'm not going to ask her to, You know. you know, like today, you know, I go to my kids and we have open dialogue, I mean, but I don't, I never went to my mom and and said, explain this to me.
0: Right. Plus, I I think sometimes there doesn't have to be um, uh, the presence of something uh, to say that these people uh, are making life difficult for you. Sometimes it's the lack of you seeing your face on television in a way that is uh, healthy. You seeing your face on a billboard for a product you know you not seeing you not seeing yourself become a part of the fabric of of society i would think that in and of itself would be enough to say hey uh we're not sitting at the table yeah for
1: sure for sure and 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 think of that that's 69 1969 1970 1971 today when i watch the news mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know It's, you know, and me and my mom kind of share this kind of same. I see the news, and and not to sound racist, but this is going to sound racist, but I see the news, and then I see these guys that are pedophiles or rapists or these guys, you know. And when I hear the surname, and I think, you know, and, and I hear it, and I get ashamed. And I told a friend of mine who's white, and I told a friend of mine one time, I said, what do you think about... You know, it's like, it really bothers me that most of the time I hear these guys in their, in their Mexicans. Well, he says, it's just a numbers thing. He says, look at how many Mexicans are in California. Right. Look at how many Mexicans are in Los Angeles. Right. I mean, that's kind of the way it's going to, it's going to come out is it's going to sound like there's more of them getting arrested because there's more of them in the area. Right. That's just kind of the way it's going to, you know, I mean, if we're in, if we're in Kentucky or, or wherever and you're not going to hear. Right. You know, Gonzalez and Garcia and, you know, you're not going to hear it like you hear it out here. And then that kind of gave me a little bit of, um, and, and, you know, and, and I think, I think, yeah, because I
0: don't think, you know, I've lived here in Los Angeles for 16 years, 17 years, and, and, uh, when that thought has never occurred to me that they're, you know, most of the pedophiles or, or, uh, rapists are Hispanic.
1: You see, and, and that's where my ear tunes to when I hear it, you know, it's like th- today this morning, I heard, a you know, another, you know, the news, I, I listen to the news every day where I read it on the internet and this woman You know, she tried to drown her kids, Mm -hmm. two kids. One of them died, one of them's dying, or one of them's really bad. Mm -hmm. And I think she was black, I think. And, you know, and I didn't think... But I think to myself, you know, what is it that would drive a person to do that? And right now, it's really, really, really something I'm really sensitive to, only because we're coming to a mark with me and my girlfriend and the murder of her grandbaby, Mm -hmm. you know. um, Friday's going to be six months. And six months is when the DA is going to determine whether or not they're going to pick up the case and bring some charges against somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, there's a lot of, um, what do you call them? Um, a lot of times I feel a little bit more about stories that I hear right. because of something else I got going on with my own personal life or something in my past, yeah. you know.
0: Um, tell the, the, the listener briefly, if you if you can, what the... the um situation is with that unless you'd rather not uh, talk about that um let's see maybe it's too complicated to to talk about but you know when you say you know the murder of my grandbaby um it's not something that i want to gloss over i feel like as an interviewer i would be um i don't feel that it's it's central necessary to the part of your story that I want to hear, but as an interviewer, I'm kind of torn because I don't want to be like, yeah, 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 dead baby. Anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, here's the deal um, Malachi was 17 months old, and he was my girlfriend's son's son. And for about two months before he died, we hadn't seen the baby. But I had about as much time as my girlfriend did with the baby, so I became like a grandfather to the baby, and mm-hmm. you know, and treated him that way. Um, and and while he was under his mother's care, um, he was. It was, what do you call it? Blunt force trauma to the head. Mm-hmm. They call it sh- shaking baby syndrome. And then somebody hit him in the back of the head, and we didn't see it because he was when we, when we went to the hospital, he was already brain dead, and we were there with him for three days, and they kept him alive for three days because he was a donator, his body organs, mm. um, and to this day they haven't put handcuffs on anybody. They had they have six suspects, um, and they the, so far the coroner determined that it was um somebody they said somebody took liberty with a baby for about 12 hours which means either they were throwing him on the floor on carpet or on a headboard they were doing injury to him with some thought behind it because they were making sure that the injuries weren't showing and that's what they did Mm -hmm. um and so you know friday's going to be um we're kind of working on plan B right now to see what we're going to do if the DA doesn't put any handcuffs on anybody or decides they're not going to pick it up. And I, so
0: I got to say, uh, this is the 48th episode I've done of this show. And I don't think anything has made me more sad than hearing that somebody deliberately throwing a baby
1: around. Um, Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things that, um, you know, I don't talk about yeah. it's because it's too big for me. It's too painful. It just yeah. is. It's just, and I get to levels of rage and anger and, and, you know, because of the person that I am today, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, um, rediscovering of who I am through this whole episode because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, you want to try and for me, because of who I am today and the life that I live, I try and live my life according to what I think god's will is in my life Mm -hmm. um i go to prayer every day i do meditation i do these things to stay connected to my god to keep me grounded because my reaction to this thing is like yours and anybody else's except that it's home for me you know and it's family to me Mm -hmm. and um so it's really um it's really hard you know when i
0: when i think of what and maybe this sounds like a bunch of horseshit, uh and me just rationalizing but the person that did does something like that to the baby the easiest thing in the world is to say that person's not a human being you know they're etc etc I look at whoever would do something like that and I think a that person has to know what they're doing is wrong so obviously, something inside them, a darkness and anger is so compelling and so overwhelming to them that they can't stop themselves and and I feel sympathy is not the right word, but I you know like when I when I see stuff about a serial killer, I think those people they a part of them knows what they're doing is wrong and wants to stop and they can't and I feel a certain empathy with somebody because I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed by feelings and want to pick up a drink or drugs or uh, cut somebody down or do something. And I think these people, they've got that times a thousand and then they're walking around thinking to, to themselves, you're a fucking baby killer or you're a pedophile or you're a serial killer. And I think that what a fucking prison that must be. Now, that. I'm I'm not letting them off the hook by any means, but don't you think any any god would want you to look at that person with some portion of that type of of empathy? Or am I just being a, a liberal bleeding heart?
1: I well, I, you are being a liberal bleeding heart, but but and I think that
0: person should certainly go to jail or maybe yeah, be subject yeah. to the death penalty. But there was a guy
1: I was at a retreat one year. And this, this—I think he was a Jesuit priest—said, and he had an, he short shared a story about a retreat he put on, and he shared, he's telling us what he told that group, and what he told them was, um, that God forgave Hitler for what he did to the Jews. Mm-hmm. That was simply how he. I'm going I'm gonna paraphrase. I'm gonna make right. it as small as possible. And so what happened is some of the people in that congregation or in that group came to him afterwards, and they happened to be ancestors of people that were uh, murdered in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. You know, they were grandchildren of people or something right. to that effect. And what he was, the point he was trying to make was the difference between our ability to love and forgive and God's ability to right. forgive and right. to love. And that was the thing that one thing that made us different from God. Right. And I think I think there's one thing that I remember. Were those
0: people upset that he had said that?
1: Yeah, but he explained it to them. And, right. this, is, and, this, and this was what he was talking about, you know, and, and, and they understood. They got it. And so what I try and remember is, is um, that my uh, friend of mine, he, used, he was a spiritual advisor of mine. He used to tell me um, to think, like, what, what would Christ do? Mm-hmm. in that situation. In any situation that, I, that comes in my life where I'm very judgmental of somebody. Mm-hmm. And so instead of thinking to myself, I'm only a human being, I'm a man, so it's kind of hard for me to think that I can be like Christ. But I got his what he was saying, the gist of what he was saying was just kind of have that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But I would think, what would he do, my spiritual advisor, Ray, not Christ, but what would he do as a human being, as a man? And that was more... um um tangible for doable me. more doable am i in a position right now that i can forgive somebody for doing that no am i capable one day of doing that maybe maybe right now no not at all um am i expected to i don't think so
0: well let's uh let's lighten things up and talk about prison and gang shootings <laughs> <laughs> In air, in heroin addiction
1: yeah i'll tell you um um my uh, my jail time was really, really little. It was very, very, uh, it was very uneventful. You, it was very you boring. But
0: you said a total of eight years. That's not little.
1: It, it is in, in, in the bigger scheme of things it is.
0: You used to, you, you like to call it, I went on a vacation. That's how yeah. you will always, uh, yeah. Jesse always refers to it. This one time I was, uh, I was on vacation.
1: Well, you know, the thing was is that, the, the, you know, I call them timeouts now, but the timeouts mm-hmm. um, were very necessary because if I didn't have the timeouts I had, I might have ended up dead. Yeah. Really, because what I would do is I would go to jail and, and uh, you know, whether it was for a few months or, or a couple of years or whatever it was. What was it usually behind, like robberies or... I had I did some time for robbery, but uh, but mostly, um, mostly, most of them were robberies, actually. And the other stuff... Was it to feed your drug habit or to earn money for the gang? I never went to earn money for nobody but me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did business... Um, with guys, um, and we had business to do to, for, for the neighborhood. Um, but you know, you come to find out real quick, they call it one thing and it's something else. I mean, really, you come to find out that, um, the loyalty is not loyalty at all. Um,
0: yeah you're dealing with criminals
1: everybody yeah I really mean, he's the, taken
0: more than his cut. <laughs> no, but see the thing is is
1: you kind of you kind of get this idea in the beginning when I first got into it and, and because there are there are guys and I know them today that are still alive that that I trusted with my life and i and I trusted everything that they told me and to the, for the most part it was I was right, but then there was these other, these other guys that sat in our circle um, that were working both sides of the fence, and we didn't know till you know, somebody end up dead or somebody end up in prison or whatever it was. I mean, you just don't know who you're sitting in the circle with. And I got out of it at 25, 26 years old. You know, I stopped drinking at 24, but, you know, for a couple of years, I was still kind of in the business a little bit. But I got out of it, and, you know, the guys that that I was sitting in circles with, they were killing each other. Mm -hmm. You know, they sit there one day shaking each other's hands and looking at them in the eye and, you know, telling them they love each other and all that, however they said it, that expression of, you know you're my brother and all that stuff and next thing you know that you know somebody's dead and the guy that was shaking his hand was involved in that decision and all that bullshit you know so you know that's what i that's where i come from i mean i you know um and so for me
0: at what age did you realize there there really isn't nobility in this it's every man for himself and these guys are uh uh these guys are the rats often that they say that they despise
1: I was probably probably a couple of years before I got out of it. You know, it's one thing to to know it, but then to make the move.
0: Yeah, how hard is that?
1: You know, a lot of you know a lot of people believe that um, maybe the societal attitude is that you know you're in a gang and you're in a gang for life, and they, they get that whole dramatic spin on it. Um, I'm kind of respected for the changes I've made. For the people that knew me, mm-hmm. the ones that were real friends, you know, because they knew who I was and to see who I am today, you know, it's like I watched I watched a TV show recently a few months back and and it, there was three of us as kids, me, my best friend, and another guy and that other guy killed my best friend, okay, and that other guy, I seen him on TV recently up in, he was up in... The guy that killed your best friend. And yeah, and he was doing some kind of scared straight thing, you know, uh-huh. I saw him on TV and... and uh, you know he'll never get out, um, and he doesn't know that I know that he killed my best friend. Oh, he's
0: in for something else.
1: Yeah, he never got try He even, never even got tried for that. You know, but he 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 had enough stuff going on that um, he'll never get out. Right. But I seen him on TV, and I remember when he killed my best friend. I was already, I was already uh, into my change of life, and I was already into recovery, and I was already there for five years when he killed my best friend. And uh, I was going to kill him, yeah. you know, for what he did. Even after being into my change of life for five years, I was going to go kill him. And I'm not a killer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, really. Yeah. I've known guys that have killed people, and I'm not. that's not me. Have you ever
0: shot at people?
1: Yeah. I've been shot, and I, you know.
0: How many times have you been shot? Once. And how many times have you fired bullets with the intent of hurting people?
1: Uh, a lot of
0: times. How, how many would you estimate? Maybe... Uh, maybe about 15. And how many times have you seen a bullet that came from your gun hit somebody else? Maybe four. And um, are you comfortable saying what the outcome of that was?
1: Well, I know they all lived. Okay. But one guy I put in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about that?
1: Um, you know, there's nothing to talk about. It's kind of, it's kind of, because I've gone through this already and I've dealt with it already, Um, the other side of it is that you know there's things that I did when I was involved in that life that um, not only were expected of me but um, I embraced it I loved it I loved it I loved the the recognition I loved the status I had Um, and I was one of the quiet ones Mm -hmm. you know I didn't have a I wasn't really today a lot of friends wouldn't believe it but I was the quiet one and I just watched everything that was going on around me and when stuff happened I you know, I got into the mix. I was into all the stuff. Was it a
0: rush? I would imagine it was Oh,
1: it was a rush. Being scared that way, you know? Being shot at is a hell of a high. Is it really? You know. I I uh I was up here at a this park out here in LA and this guy just started opening up in broad daylight, you know, and he caught me in the leg and dropped me and it was just a flesh wound it just chipped my bone but it dropped me but but looking at looking at him and seeing the fire in the gun even though he was probably 70 yards out mm-hmm. and seeing the flash of Was the it daytime or nighttime Daytime yeah and I could I'm looking at him yeah and I'm I'm running I'm looking at him and he's shooting and there's two of us or three of us maybe three of us and I got behind a tree and uh, he never hit the tree, but he hit my leg before I got behind the tree, and uh, you know. And, but that was that was one time. I mean, I've been shot at a few times, and and you know, um, when you get out of it, I mean, it's scary. At, at, at you know, you get the rush and the adrenaline and all that stuff, and and then the other side of it, um, you get the the lump in the throat and the the feeling of how close that was. And I've had a few of those experiences mm-hmm. where I should have died yeah and you know and you come out of it and like wow you know
0: i think i know what it's like because i've drank espresso
1: it's exactly like like drinking a double espresso <laughs> i won't even touch that stuff <laughs> yeah it's kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah i was me and my brother were out one night and we were in my mom's car and, and this car drove on the side of us and the guy is going down to reach for his gun the passenger and I'm the passenger, and 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 my window is at the at the driver of mm-hmm. the other car. We're side by side, and his passenger is reaching for a gun, and I see him reaching. And my brother says, "I don't know if the guy showed the gun or what he did." And my brother says, "I oh, don't worry about it. I don't know if you, you know. I think the guy sh- shot one shot." And my brother said, or I thought in my head that he was shooting blanks. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why. I seen the fire coming out of the gun. He was raised over the, he stuck his body out the window and was over the top of the roof pointing Mm -hmm. down at us and started shooting. And I seen the fire coming out of the gun. And for whatever reason, my head told me it was blanks. Don't ask me why. I, You know, because I'm real smart, right? How old were you at this point? Then I was probably about 20 or something like that. And we had just bought a a box of beer bottles. We're Uh drinking. And so I started grabbing the beer bottles and throwing at him as he's shooting. He's shooting, I'm throwing beer bottles at him. He shot it, got off about six rounds. We went down this main street. We went straight. They, they hung a right. And then we went home, and it was like, you know, we went and bought more beer and, and uh, finished our night, went home. And the next day, I used that car my mom's car, a little Toyota, a little box. And I went to the store, and I happened to stop at the park. I seen a guy I knew, and I stopped. We had a couple of beers. And as we're standing there drinking the beer, he says, who shot at you? And I looked, and I hadn't said nothing yet. And I looked, and I how did he know? You know, yeah. and I look, and there's a big old hole in the door, and it looked like a forty-five. It went through one door and halfway into the other one on the back of the car. Now, you know, when I seen it, because I wasn't drunk the night before, and I and my, my I just kind of got this like rush of fear that came on me, and it w- and then I told this guy Jake. I told him what happened, and he's like, "Wow," he says, "It's pretty close." You know, and and I'm thinking, I'm looking at myself tonight before throwing beer bottles at this guy yeah. that's shooting at me. And what it is is the kick on the gun and the 45s. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so hard that you it's hard to. And that he, was my saving grace. Yeah, because he only hit the, the 22. Car. You might have been dead. Yeah, and he only hit the car one time, and he shot about five or six times. And that was one of those times when I says, hmm, you know, maybe um. You know, it was one of those thoughts like, I might want to consider doing something else for a living. <laughs> And and it lasted about ten minutes or five minutes, you yeah. know, and then it was gone. And you know, you have right. a couple of beers, and it's like, wow, okay, yeah. you know, yeah. you just you get over it.
0: <laughs> when did when did your um, heroin use start?
1: I uh, it was you know I was one of them really. Uh, I was a I was a serious chipper, is what I was. You were you were a heroin prodigy, weren't you? No, no, no. I, uh, the first time I used heroin, I I didn't get loaded on heroin until after I used it maybe six times. Mm. And the first time I used it, I went and bought a, a spoon and uh, I went to this guy's house in the neighborhood and, uh, you know, because I trusted dope fiends like uh, you're supposed to. <laughs> and I handed him the balloon and he went and got his and went to the restroom and then came and gave me mine and, you know, all that yeah. good stuff. So and, he stepped on your well shit and gave you nothing. He must have, must have gave me nothing. Yeah. You know, and that was the first time, and and uh, but the first time I got loaded, I was on a handball court, and as uh, most heroin addicts, yeah, do we? and we're playing handball. I was playing drinking. squash the first time I shot up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this guy brought he brought some, uh, he broke out with some China White, mm-hmm. and I says, and he says, you know, he put this little piece out like a match head, you know, a little 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 bit, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, what's this gonna do? And I had not yet gotten loaded on heroin. I've tried it like five or six times. And he says, trust me. He says, you know, trust me on this. Just just take that. He says, if you want more when you're done with this, I'll give you more. So, you know, I, um, he tied me off and, and, uh, and he gave it to me. And um, I remember the rig going into my arm. And when I woke up, I was about three miles away in somebody's shower and they had me under the water. I went out. Really? I was out. I was out. And you know, they said uh they thought they thought they were gonna lose me and all that good stuff and my first my first uh response and I'll never forget it was I gotta get some more of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I gotta get some more of that. And here's you, a here's a deal you, here's a deal that makes me different from other people. Yeah. This you know, not that I'm I deal with terminal uniqueness, but There was this, I remember a fair, I was just reminded of it, I went to a carnival or something when I was a kid, maybe 69, and they had this thing where they show the freaks, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, this is what heroin does to babies. And I couldn't tell you if it had a third eye or if it had two heads, I don't remember. But what I do remember is my response in my head thinking, if drugs did that to that woman that gave birth to that baby, I want to try those drugs. (laughs) If those drugs were that powerful, I want to try those drugs. Right, and that may have made me a little. You know, I thought about it through the years because I was ten years. That's
0: not something normal people think. Yeah, and yeah. I'm
1: thinking, man, that that's got to be some good <laughs> shit, man. That's got to be some really, really good stuff.
0: Yeah. When you came out uh, of your nod or whatever you want to call it, that first time you did the, the the China White and you almost died, was there a feeling of euphoria when you awoke? Was it was the high still on? Yeah. Okay. So you. So yeah. It, it felt good, even though oh, you yeah. were it almost died.
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was like it was like, you know, when you have a uh, great sex, mm-hmm. and you, and afterwards you're having your cigarette moment, and mm-hmm. you're just kind of laying there like, man, that was some great sex. Yeah. This is better than that. Wow. And you just kind of walk with that afterglow. Mm-hmm. And of course, then you start like. This is when I when I first got a little bit of a habit going, and and as soon as that's coming down, my head's already going. You know, when we, we got to get some more of this, we got to get, get some more of this.
0: And so, to talk about that then that that yeah. lifestyle of feeding the uh, the dragon or whatever you want to call it, chasing that, the
1: dragon. That wasn't. I never thought I was a heroin addict. I never thought I was a heroin addict. <laughs> to the day I got clean, I never thought I was a heroin addict because I used to go on what we call runs. You know, I mean, you rearrange reality the way any way you want, and I did that all day long with myself. I was—I turned into a speedballer. I was mixing cocaine and heroin, and and I had friends of mine who were using three hundred dollars a day worth of heroin. And this is back in the eighties. Yeah, and they're using three hundred dollars a day. Those are the heroin addicts. You know, right. I never got past one hundred and twenty-five.
0: <laughs> so you couldn't possibly be a heroin addict, right? Yeah, these
1: guys are bad. You know, yeah. so. And then I would go on these runs, and I could use for a month, three weeks, two weeks, and stop. And be a little bit sick. But getting sleep in, be- in between, not
0: yeah, being yeah. up for three yeah, weeks. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: And then, and then I'd be a little bit sick, but I never got real, real dope sick. Mm. You know, I'd be, and the reason I never got dope sick is because I always had, a, I always had something else in my system. Mm. You know, Whether it was a minimum of booze, but I always had a buffer going mm. on. Yeah, And don't ask me what it was because a lot of times I stuck my hand in the candy jar and I didn't know what the candy was. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it went, you know, whatever. But I needed, you know, I was one of them gutter, uh, what do you call them?
0: Gutter hypes?
1: A, a gutter dope thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I slammed I, 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 I slammed a I've slammed reds, I did heroin and cocaine, um, and I would eat. Whatever was on the table that's why you know some people talk about their drug of choice whatever you my had. favorite my <laughs> favorite drug was whatever was on the table man yeah. that was my favorite
0: uh, I, I I totally relate to that I'm, yeah I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before but one time I remember being in a parking lot after after a show doing stand-up and I'm with strangers complete strangers and uh, and mind you I'm I'm on TV at this point I've got a show um, I'm making decent money. I could bought champagne if I wanted to. They're passing a thing that you use to clean off computer screens, and everybody's huffing off it, and they pass it to me. I think I even had a suit on, and I was like, sounds good. Took a drag off it.
1: Yeah, you're a lot sicker than I ever <laughs> was, for sure. For sure.
0: <laughs> but, you know, it's that what whatever will take me out of me, a video game, pornography, uh Drugs, alcohol, shopping, gossip, you fucking name it, 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 anything that will, in my mind, uh, change my level in the universe.
1: I like what you shared about being around people you didn't even know. You yeah. know, I, uh, I sat in some pretty tight circles of guys that really knew each other, but I also sat in circles of people that I had never seen before, and we were partying like if we had been friends for all our lives. Sure. And, uh, you know, you end up in some—and then me, I, you know, I, because of the work that I did, because of the work that I did, um, you know, I always carried a gun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, something would always happen, you know, and I'd be racing away from somebody's house or or, or racing away with a cracked head or something, you know. Something yeah. always—you know, you think a lot of times, you know, I would think—and this is this turned into self-judgment. You know, I would think, because I didn't know what an alcoholic was, mm. and I didn't know, and I really didn't think. I thought I would like drugs, but I didn't think I was a drug addict. I wasn't, you know, real bad. So what you do is you think, well, if I'm not any of those things, and I never even wanted to consider them because I wasn't no dummy. I thought if I ever called myself an alcoholic or an addict, somebody might ask me to stop. So I was never going to go there. I wasn't, mm. didn't spend time thinking about it. But what I did do instead, I was more willing to say that I was, I was stupid. Right. You know, because how and else— And unlucky— and unlucky yeah i mean how why else would anybody do the things that i did right i did some stupid shit yeah <laughs> and i did it even i, I couldn't even blame the alcohol yeah. you know you when you're when you're loaded as much as i was or drunk for so long and you do all this dumb stuff because you're not loaded one day or drinking that day you know the stupid continues <laughs> you know, it just continues. The <laughs> right. bad decisions, the Correct. bad choices, just the bad moves just yeah. all the way around. It's just bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I you know, so I thought to myself, man, you you're just you're just stupid. Yeah. You know, nobody does stupid shit like that. The thing was is I would go to family gatherings. And I love drinking with my family. I come from, you know, a lot of us, my cousins and, you know, party party. And it got to the point where you know, I hadn't drank um, forever how long it was maybe a few days and I'd sit in the circle in, in the living room or wherever and I would crack a beer and shh, and it would get quiet and you could hear the whispers like he's drinking again or keep an eye on him mm-hmm. or here we go yeah. because I was either the violent drunk or the crying drunk there wasn't a lot of gray area there Yeah, you know because that's why when people used to talk about would talk about I drank to take the edge off I drank to get fucked up you know, I mean, I, I never, I, I would call it that sometimes. I'd come yeah. home from work, get in my recliner, pull out my 12-pack or my 40-ounce or my beer or whatever, and I would sit there and say, you know, that whole thing in the head about, you know, I just worked a hard 8, 10, 12-hour day, come home, and that's what a man does. He has his beer. And But me, the funny thing happened when I drank a beer. Every one I drank made me thirstier. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seemed like every one I drank, I was—it was just wasn't quenching that thirst, man. It wasn't enough. It just wasn't. I think about it now, and I—I I salivate. Yeah. You know, it's—I—it was. I remember. I think it was uh, because I was going to be a classy drinker. I think I started drinking Michelob instead of Colt Forty Five. <laughs> and I remember the taste of, of, of the Michelob, and I thought to myself. I've been drinking beer all these years and I never knew what a good beer tastes like. Yeah. I remember thinking that to myself, like, man, you've really arrived. You know, That's you finally hilarious. arrived. Or when I had a full bar, when I finally got a full bar, right? My full bar was tequila, 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 one vodka, more tequila, 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 <laughs> tequila and, and some uh, 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 Jack Daniels and some Johnny Walker. and some, I had about 25 bottles of booze and because at that time, I was making some serious money in some of the the business I was involved in, and I had this big old bar going, and the bar was a little bookshelf with the fifths on it in my living room. Right. that's what it was right, but I felt like i I remember looking at that and thinking to myself, "Man, you've really arrived. this is what yeah, life's about. There's
0: no way you could be an alcoholic if you're drinking classy oh man. what was the business at that point? were you selling drugs? I was helping to move drugs yeah was, what yeah. kind of what kind of volumes of drugs and what drugs
1: um heroin, cocaine, and weed. And um, as far as volume, that would change because what I used to do is I used to be a runner, and I would I was like a. Deliver- you
0: didn't have to front any money; you just took the the risk of getting oh, yeah. caught with it. Oh yeah, I so was delivery paid well,
1: huh? Oh well,
0: you know it never pays enough. <laughs> yeah,
1: there wasn't a good dental plan going on. You yeah, know, you
0: factor in jail time, and it's really minimum wage.
1: And the four hundred one k just wasn't worth the fuck. You know, yeah. it just wasn't. Yeah, but you know, you for whatever reason you sell it to yourself that this is a good idea because one is I'm staying loaded for free mm-hmm. two is I'm staying fed I'm keeping gas in the car and and I got a couple of bucks in my pocket and I'm not having to punch a clock mm-hmm. and there, there it is there that's 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 wealth right there sure <laughs> you know I mean and I'm driving I'm staying loaded I'm in the party scene a little bit and uh, dealing with these different people and then every now and then Guns get pulled, and people get all stupid, and and it gets real uh, different, real exciting, real quick. Mm-hmm. And game changers happen like that, and that's where people end up dead, or people end up in prison for the rest of, the life, or whatever. Can, can
0: you give me a a a, a little snapshot of w- an example of of one of those things when?
1: One of the scariest moments for me, I was about seventeen or eighteen, and uh, maybe I was nineteen. Anyways, we're coming from, we're crossing the border, and there's like ten cars. And we're all loaded with weed and other stuff and the cars you know they're scattered it's not like we're all in the same line it's not like a funeral position right and and these and we cross and I get across and the two other I see two other cars make it across and uh, we made it our we we meet at our where we're supposed to meet in San Diego and we meet and uh, three cars are missing and the three cars are missing are are um, either six or nine guys that are missing and uh, we never seen them again to what? this day to this day and so what I had to do is uh you know one of those guys um, was a friend and and I had to go tell his mom I didn't tell her what happened in detail I just told her that he disappeared you know and um that was uh it should have been it should have been life-changing a wake-up call to kind of say you know what i can't do this anymore you know this isn't for me because i you know i've gone through so many close calls and this one was a close call for me because i've been in jail in tj before and it's not fun wow and and this was a close call for me because if i would have got caught in there you know whatever they they're you know i don't even think they're in prison i you know they're probably dead i don't know i don't know yeah. but they never showed up again They've they're, they're they've never showed up since.
0: Tell tell the story about um, when the guy offered you the eyedropper in prison.
1: Oh, it was in the it was in the county. Oh, he, county. Okay. He uh, I went in to do 120 days, and I just got just stopped drinking.
0: So this isn't like 85, 86? Yeah,
1: and I and I I had to go in and do I think 120 days or 90 days or something, and I went in, and as soon as I went in. I was in there for a couple of days, and, um, and one guy that I knew that we had shared needles through the years on the streets, a couple of times going through jail, and I went in and, 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 and he says, um, I got a loaded rig, you know, or he didn't say that, he just, whatever he said, he told me that he had a loaded eyedrop syringe with, with heroin in it, and he offered me a taste, and I just like, nah, you know, whatever. At the time, I was like 90 days sober. Mm-hmm. I had just stopped drinking and using And I passed, and he didn't make a big deal out of it, you know, and he got loaded or whatever. When I was, you know, and I got out that time, and I got drunk one more time, one more time, and then I was done. Um, And five years into my own recovery, he um, died. I think he died in Folsom um, from AIDS. And according to the timeline, it could have, you know. Yeah. I could have, that could have been one of the bullets I dodged for sure.
0: In 2007, I'm going to fast forward now. In 2007, uh, you and I had known each other for a couple of years, and uh, you kept losing weight. Huh. And you kept getting more and more pale. And we kept saying, Jesse, are you sure you're okay? Are you sure you're okay? And you're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I found out I wasn't good. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Yeah, I was. Uh, I had this flu going on <laughs> that lasted like a really long time, probably like 13 weeks or something. And um, one of my buddies, had a, he asked me, he says, um, something's wrong with you. Because you're right, there was a few guys that would ask me what's up. And this one guy says, something's wrong. I says, you know what, I'm not sleeping at night. I don't know, I'm sleeping like three hours a night. And I'm having these cold sweats, you know. I said, it's like this really jacked up flu, this really hard flu. I'm I'm dealing with it. I'm good. He's like, nah, something's wrong.
0: And that's so you to do that too. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it's like, what am I going to do? I mean, it's it's like, you know, I've been through some stuff in my life and I just kind of like, you just write it out, you know. And eventually the calendar kind of takes care of what's going on in your life, you know. And this was one of those times when that didn't happen. and, And I lost, you know, I weigh 185 pounds right now. And I went down to about 121, 22 or something like that. Yeah. I had no strength in my legs. Um, anyways, I, you know, so I go to the, I go to the doctor, and uh, right away they tell me I'm running, and I have a tank of blood, and they want to give me a t- blood transfusion, and I tell them I don't want to because, I'm fr- because I know people that have died from AIDS, mm-hmm. from a blood transfusion in my family. you know, Actually, my sister's mother-in-law and and other people that I've known and and I just like I says no nah, this isn't a good idea and the woman says you need some blood you're running on a half a tank and she says we screen the blood pretty good don't worry about it so they give me a blood transfusion
0: and and by the way the screening for that nowadays is so much better than it used yeah,
1: to yeah oh for sure yeah. for sure and so you know I went in I went in and I did the blood transfusion and I don't remember when I went they let me out seven days later they gave me my vitamins whatever I needed and and, uh, I felt better and I came home and I went back for another visit and did a blood test and uh, and, uh, they told me I had cancer and I was uh, stage 3 and I had Hodgkin's lymphoma and he said I had a good chance of recovering if I don't skip a beat on the treatment and then right after they found the cancer they found the hep C and I had both of them and so I says, okay. And when he told me that I thought um that explains a lot, for one thing. And, and
0: hep C is hepatitis C for right, a
1: Right. And I didn't um you know, stage three is kind of like um you know, when you have stage four, you kind of start saying goodbye to people. Right. And stage three is kind of on that line, you know. And 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 I was feeling it for sure. I mean, you saying you seen how I looked,
0: dude. You, we we literally thought you we were going to lose you.
1: Yeah, and this was before I even knew I was sick. And and um, so when he told me that, I wasn't. Um, it was really interesting my reaction in my head because I I really um I really didn't get scared. I didn't get scared. I just it just like it was kind of one of those things that. And he kind of looked at me weird because he thought maybe... Uh, I was definitely in thought about what was going on, but he thought maybe I went into shock mm-hmm. because he kind of... Because I was really into deep thought, like, I'm kind of sorting what's going on here, you know, that I I know I could die from this, I know I can. And so I'm just kind of coming to terms with it in my own head as he, right as he's, you know, it's kind of going kind of quick. And then he just kind of asked me, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And I says, you know... um, I, uh, this isn't a surprise. I mean, I smoked for 31 years. I smoked them camo non-filters for about 28. And I put all these chemicals in my body. I'm a painter and, and uh, I drank and I drugged and I did all this stuff. This is kind of an inevitable for me, more than, huh. a, more than a surprise. I told right. him that. Yeah. And he says, okay. He says, well, if you keep that attitude, then you, you had a, a good chance of beating this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I did eight months of chemo and i you know and it was uh it was interesting it was interesting you know uh, blood draws got interesting
0: tell the story about the the only time i saw you cuz i would see you a couple of times a week throughout this whole thing and i was just amazed at how level-headed and present you were and how um you just you never felt sorry for yourself you you had a great attitude about it but i remember you came in one day because they uh you had gone to get chemo and a nurse had kind of pissed you off or something oh
1: and, yeah tell you, that that story well what she did was um i think this is what you're ta- she mm-hmm. um um they, they you know the chemo comes through an iv yeah and um and it's in a little bag and, and they hang it on the ra- And it, it comes in through an IV. And, anyways, I feel this fire going on in my arm. And, um, and I tell her, you know, I'm, I'm burning up over here. So she brings me a hot pack. And what the hot pack does, it expands the vein because the, the chemo's thick and expands the vein to give it a better flow. And then I look up and I realize that I says, you know, I realize there's no water. And you're supposed to have the saline, which is a water, as a cut to thin it out mm. and and to cuz chemo's poison. Yeah. And you don't want to run it straight cuz it's for obvious reasons. Mm. So they didn't put no water in it so the whole side of my body was on fire. Mm. And um I uh I told her and she she took care of it and but I I just remembered. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think you're you're not talking about you're talking about a blood draw. Yeah. Yeah, this guy he comes, you know, you would think on blood draws that they would know what they're doing, but this guy comes in, he sticks a needle in my arm, and he, and he hits. There's a lot of pain. There, I just feel this shooting pain in my arm. And I tell him, I says, hey, something's wrong here. Um, you know, I got this, this pain going. on. He says, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know what I'm doing. And we're in the doctor's office, and I kind of go like, you mean because you've been doing this for 20 fucking years that I'm not feeling the pain that I'm feeling? And everybody kind of just looked at me and got kind of quiet in there. And, you know, and he just he just shined me on like it wasn't a big deal. And he just, you know. And so the next day I went and I told my nurse, the one that was giving me the chemo, um, I says, hey, uh, um, you know, this is what happened yesterday. And I says, I think he hit a nerve. And she says, that's exactly what happened. He hit a nerve. He wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. And that was one of those times when I really considered smacking somebody yeah. that was treating me. My doctor, he came in one day and... and uh started talking to me and I told him, I says, you know, you got to show a little bit more concern here because I'm, I'm all in here. I want to, I want to beat this. And if I, you know, you're giving me the impression that you're not really interested in what's going on here and mm-hmm. I need you, I need you to be interested. Right. You yeah. know, cause I am. Right. <laughs> you right. know, I'm planning on beating this. I'm, you know, that's, that's yeah. my mindset. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to beat it. I'm hoping, you know, a lot of times I got that moment where I was kind of like the kid whistling in the dark mm-hmm. kind of thing, but I got to beat it, man. I can't. I can't sit there and, and, and not for one moment did I sit there saying, "My God, I got cancer here. I could die," and you know, or this is painful, or this or the nausea, or all the stuff that comes with it. This is too much. I never went there. Do you think the fact that you had dodged
0: so many bullets b- before kind of made it less of a big deal?
1: No. What do no. you think? It, what because do you think this it was, was a unique this was a unique challenge. This was a unique fear. I didn't go fearless. There was some fear there. Um, I think I really, really believe that it was because of my connection with my God. Mm-hmm. It really is because I never had that sense of security or sense of well-being before before in my life until I made that connection with my God when I got into recovery and I had stopped drinking. And, and making that connection changed me as a man as a person and my whole um, way of thinking was changed which meant my whole perspective was changed which meant my whole foundation of fears changed Mm -hmm. you know I have fears like everybody else they're just not what they used to be what they used to be was um, I used to nurture my fears I used to think about them a lot I used to um, you know anxiety just all this stuff because of the way that I was living and the stuff that I dealt with, and I knew that eventually somebody was going to kill me or whatever, mm. and I had certain fears there. But when I got sober and I connected with my God, there was a sense of well-being that I never experienced before, and there was a um, some courage that I never knew existed within me. And I believe I'm convinced it came from God because I didn't have it within me to have that kind of courage. All right. I mean, I come from a lifestyle that, that demanded some courage, but it was all misguided, kind of mis,
0: kind of a false, yeah. young man's idea of exactly, courage.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so this time it was a little more, um, it was different for sure. Yeah. And I kind of got to the point where I said, well, if you know, if 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 I accepted it for what it was, and I said, if I'm going to die now, if that happens, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm really okay and because I, of what I've been given,
0: and I sense that in you. And that is that is one of the things that kind of cemented um, my idea of you as somebody that that I admire and that I appreciate as a friend because you had the ultimate uh, test to walk the walk and to walk with poise and to be patient and to you know. It, I remember saying to you, you know, you're a couple of months into this cancer thing, you mention it, you wouldn't even mention it as cancer, you would say, yeah, I'm going through some health issues. And I I would always say, I would be stopping people on the street and telling them that I had cancer.
1: You know, I I remember sitting with my mom and telling her the day I got cancer, you know, because the day when they told me I had to go to my mom's and tell her what was up. And I remember sitting there and telling her, and I told her, I says, it's all over my chest and my stomach and my groin. And I'm stage three. And she started shaking and crying, you know. And, you know, she got pretty shook up. And, and and I thought about it and I thought, I guess I'm supposed to be scared with her. I remember having that feeling like, I guess I'm supposed to be scared here. And I'm not, you know, I'm not. I mean, I'm feeling very inconvenienced. <laughs> you know, fucking cancer? Come on, I'm busy. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of the, you know, it was kind of like, and I said, okay. It seemed like the people around me were a lot more affected than I was. Even my brother was going to finance, a, he wanted to send me somewhere on the Gerson program, I think. Some guy claimed to have the cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. I think my brother was going to put up about 10 or 15 grand to have this process done. And he even had a family meeting. And he convinced my siblings to get behind him on this, and I was getting phone calls, you know, from siblings that were crying, asking me to do this. Mm-hmm. And I really resented my brother for that, you know, not because he was, you know, because this was out of love for sure. Yeah. And and my brother Joe is a, he's like he's a great guy, you know, and he's in my corner for sure. And I know he's doing this out of love. Yeah. But the fact is, is because he believes in it, he figures it's um, the gospel truth. Right. So he sells everybody else on it, and they have this family meeting, and mm. and I hear everybody telling me that I should do this, I should do it, I should do it. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening to everybody. I'm. A, it might have been. It, it, I, now I know what it like. It's like to be an intervention, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so and so at the end, I think either my mom or my older sister asked, maybe we should ask Jesse what he thinks. You right. know, I was oh, I get to say something, you right. know, and I and I made a decision. I says, um, I've decided that I'm gonna do chemo, you know. Yeah, that's my decision, but I had to go to my spiritual advisor to ask him. Yeah, you know, I go, man, this, you know, I got my brother doing the stain, and you know, and I know he's sold on it, but I'm, I'm, you know, and, and and Ray told me he says it's your body and it's your life. What do you? End what do you want to do? And the story. And that was, and that was really what it was. Yeah. And of course, you know, he reminded me, which I already knew. He says, you know, everybody's coming from love and fear. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I know. And so I had to go say, hey, you know, I'm doing chemo. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did I did it for eight months and it and it and it worked yeah. it knocked out the cancer and knocked out the the hips the hepatitis and next in March this coming March will already be three years that I've been in the all clear Wow
0: Wow well I'm so grateful that uh, I got to have extra extra time with you and, and I think a lot of people feel that that same way and uh, I want to thank you for your your honesty and um, I was gonna do a fear off but we're 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 running a little long already and uh, there's so much good stuff that um, I feel like uh, I feel like we got enough is there anything you wanna you wanna add before
1: uh, yeah I, um, do I get paid in check or cash <laughs> <laughs> and do I get paid today cuz I gotta I gotta do some stuff
0: yeah you're saying you're waiting on a you're waiting on a check
1: <laughs> no yeah you know what this is cool I I um. I like the people that are in my life today and the ones that do stuff like this and, and, and the different guys because I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing a lot of writing now and I'm kind of making that, trying to make that transition of being a writer for a living and, and uh, I surround myself with people today that impress me on a regular basis, on a regular basis of who they are and, uh, and you're one of those guys. Well, I appreciate that.
0: That, that means a lot to me coming from, from a, a no-nonsense person like,
1: like you. It really does. It really does. It is. It really is what my life. What makes my life good and and uh, has improved the quality of my life. And I got a life I could have never imagined because of the people in it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: And you're going through some stuff right now. You're going through some uh, uh, some. I wouldn't say unemployment, but underemployment. And uh, you just always you always come out the other side. And uh, I got to believe that there is a correlation between acting as if you believe you're going to come out the other side and getting out the other side.
1: I've never not had a roof over my head. I've never missed a meal. Um, And if I couldn't pay my rent, um, I would not be homeless. I have too many friends and family that would not allow that. I would not be homeless. So my greatest fear would be that I would pass judgment on myself about the way that my life is and I would use that to judge me. That's my greatest fear. Um, I didn't know the strengths I had in my life until there was a challenge put in front of me that, that uh, demanded that I find what that strength is. Yeah. I, you know, So when, when the seemingly bad happens or the dark days come or whatever it is, I don't get too excited. Yeah. I just don't.
0: And the thing that I would add is not only do you benefit from it, but it, it makes my life better because when i'm having a shitty day i can guarantee you there's many times i was freaking out about something and then i go have dinner with you that night and i'd be like what the fuck am i freaking out for this guy just got out of you know four hours of chemotherapy and uh and and, and he's completely uh you know present sitting here at dinner with a smile on his face and uh that that is the gift if we if we just get wrapped up in it it's all doom etc etc we don't give get to give that gift to other people of giving them an example of how to live life and so i just want to thank you for uh for that and uh and for um and for not robbing me you know i know that that's what your people like to do and uh i want to thank you for letting me leave here with my wallet and uh, you know I couldn't fucking let it go without. Uh
1: and as long as this thing's still recording, we'll just say it's that way. <laughs> <laughs> of you. course, I'm not gonna rob you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: do, you, do you remember what I what I said to you when you came and uh, and you uh, you declared that you're cancer free?
1: Oh yeah, you said even cancer doesn't like Mexicans. <laughs> But, I, but you know, I know that you have to talk that way, being that you're insecure. And that one time when you told me that you were embarrassed and ashamed for being white, I get it. <laughs> then you have to act that way because of that embarrassment. It's okay. I understand. Uh, I feel your pain. I
0: love you, brother.
1: I love you, too. All right. Thank you.
0: Many thanks to Jesse. And if you want to contact him, I'm going to put uh, a link to his Facebook page. Uh, on our uh, website that website is metalpod.com before I uh, take it out with a, a listener email um, want to uh, thank a couple people that helped make the show possible my wife Carla for always giving me great feedback Steve Grieve who uh, uh, designs and runs the website uh, John and Michael uh, and Manny who help keep uh, spammers out of the forum and uh, of course you the uh, you the listener. And uh, you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating, and writing something nice that boosts our ranking, and that brings more, uh, more people to the show, which we enjoy. Um, this uh, listener email comes from um, Jeff, and uh, he writes, I've been depressed for over 20 years without really realizing it. It cost me a well paying job a decent marriage, and many friends and relationships. My current wife had recently made me aware of it my self hatred has kept me from embracing the idea of treatment until five minutes ago. Your podcasts are what changed my mind on the biggest decision in my life thank you jeff of all the of all the emails I've gotten and I've gotten some really nice ones from people um that just uh it just really made me smile and I know I shouldn't depend on things that other people say to validate me but that fucking validated me <laughs> so thank you thank you for that and thank you for everybody that that writes in and uh, tells me um, that this podcast helps them um, I uh, I really appreciate that and you guys absolutely helped me feel less alone less broken less fucked up less hopeless and uh, if you're out there and you're feeling all those things know that uh, it's 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 not reality there is hope you are not alone and thanks for listening